0: We've been in Deuteronomy off and on, and Deuteron- through, since September, it's a series of speeches that Moses gives to the people on the verge of crossing the promise, into the Promised Land because he is not able to go with them, and he sets down this uh, challenge before them this day in the 30th chapter of Deuteronomy. See, I've set before you life and prosperity and death and destruction. I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to walk obediently with him and to keep his commands, laws and decrees. If you do this, then you will live and increase and the Lord will bless you in the land that you are about to enter. But if your hearts turn from the Lord and if you are disobedient and if you go after other gods and bow down and worship them, then I assure you that you will certainly be destroyed, and you will not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. I call heaven and earth together to witness against you this day. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life that you and your children may live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Life is full of choices, and in fact, our life is a product of the choices that we make. Some are very significant, and they're obviously a major choices to us. Uh, choices like our uh, scholarship recipients have to make about where to go to school or what to study at school. There are other significant decisions, what one will do for a career, uh, who you'll marry. Uh, where you will live. There are significant decisions to be made, and our life is a product of those. But just as certainly, our life is also a product of the smaller decisions that we make on a daily basis. When Janet was running through those good, cho- uh, good choices with the children, at one point I realized I was 0 for 4 on those things. You know, eventually you drink enough the wrong drink, and you uh, don't eat properly, and you don't eat exercise, and, and those choices add up in your life our life in many ways is a product of our choices but the problem i think for we who live in america is we have so many choices available to us we live in a day of a of choices let's say for example that you chose for just a few moments to be on the couch because i know you won't do it for any longer than that with the remote in your hand some of you would have choices of up to 500 different tv channels uh, that you could go from. Uh, some of you will choose to eat a healthy breakfast cereal tomorrow morning for breakfast. And when you went to the grocery store to get that cereal, you had a choice of 200 or more different brands of cereal. Our a scholarship recipients that we honored uh, and celebrated this morning had a choice of literally thousands of universities. We have a son who's a senior, and so about a year ago we bought one of those Guide to Colleges books. In this guide, there were 1,400 colleges and universities guaranteed to be just right for him. That's a lot of choice. Now there's a stream of thought in our day that says that maybe the abundance and superabundance of choices that are facing Americans are actually not really helpful to us. At, there is a stream of thought that says that the number of choices that we have to make on a daily basis and choosing between so many things is actually contributing to a higher level of stress in our life. And family practice physicians can tell you that probably at least 75% of the patients that they see on a daily basis have there are there for reasons that, at one way or another, boil down to stress. And it contributes to our stress, not because we don't want to make the right decisions, but because we so desperately do want to make the right decisions. And with so many choices before us, how do we know which one is right? And once we make one, well, then did it turn out that maybe we made the wrong one? Uh, Last month, we went through that uh, uh, choice-making process that some of you go through when we, we bought an automobile. Anybody ever had buyer's remorse? Yeah, even if you bought the right one, we're still thinking, well, maybe it wasn't. And maybe we missed some sort of better deal. And with all these choices, our level of stress goes up. And it doesn't really contribute, I think, to our level of satisfaction or happiness in life. One of the things I noticed um, going to Burundi with a few other people from our church uh, this winter was in Burundi, one of the five poorest nations on the planet, they don't really face the abundance of choices that we have. When it's time to eat, if the food is available, they might be able to choose to have rice and potatoes and beans. Or maybe they could choose to have beans, rice, and potatoes. But the choices are still pretty limited. Uh, We went through the process of looking for a car. 99% of them, that's not a choice that they can make. And yet, I think the four of us who went would agree that we left Behind there are people who are basically content, are people basically who seem to have a lower level of stress even though they struggle for existence on a daily basis than what we have. I say all of this to you because I want to tell you that our God is a good God. And part of the goodness of our God is that our God looks all at all the choices we could make and says, let me boil it down and make it simple for you. I'm just going to give you a choice between two things. One choice that every person must make in life. You may choose between death and life, curse and blessing. And that's it, says Moses. I'm going to make it easy for you. One choice to make. And now the catch here is that you have to make a choice. You can not... Uh, Fail to decide because if you don't decide, then the decision has, in fact, been made for you. Because the decision to go for life, to choose blessing, is a choice to intentionally follow God and walk with God, and people just don't accidentally end up there. I mean, we've had several generations of people who thought because they lived in America and their parents brought them to church when they were little, that would put them on the path of walking with God only to find out years later it really hadn't done that at all because it's an intentional choice you make. And everyone must choose. As we said last week, one of the things the rabbis commented on about the Ten Commandments is the giving of the Torah and the commandments uh, presupposes that we have choice or why else would God give them to us? Why would God send Jesus Christ to us if we didn't have the choice not to accept him? The good news is our choices in life that count are really few. The bad news is, you've got to make a choice. And Moses says, choose life. So if you're like me, you're wondering, "Well, okay, how do I do that? What's involved in choosing life? And Moses says it pretty clearly. He says this, love the Lord your God. Walk in obedience to him and keep his commands, laws, and decrees. Now, if you've been with us as we've been off and on through Deuteronomy since September, none of that surprises you at all. You know that to to walk with God is to do what God says and do what God wants. But what was new or interesting for me to think about this week was that the primary factor in my ability to get there, to, to do what God wants, may simply be this. Starting with loving God, with having a passionate commitment toward God. We say it every Sunday, the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. With all your strength, I mean, what else is there? In the New Testament, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and he added mind for the Greeks who thought that mind was somehow separate, and strength. You love God passionately with everything you have. When the ancient rabbis comment on the scripture from Deuteronomy, they say that people who love God have a form of love sickness. Have you ever known anybody who's love sick? Have you ever known anybody whose like whole life revolved, at least for a short period of time, around what another person thought of them? Have you ever been there? Many years ago, in high school, I met my wife. And what I figured out within three days was this. I figured out her entire class schedule without asking her. And then I figured out a route around and between the halls of our building where I could intercept her five different times during a seven-hour school day. I was pretty passionate. I was pretty focused. Some could call me lovesick. And the rabbis say, that's what's involved. That you say, the only thing that matters to me in this moment is what God thinks. The only thing that matters to me in this moment is what God wants. And the only place I want to be at this moment is where God wants me to be. That sort of passionate devotion to God is the key choosing life so it's not surprising that when moses talks about the people who choose death this is the first thing he says about them their hearts turn their hearts go away from god and when their hearts go away trust me their hands and feet and their mind start to follow choosing life is about being passionately committed to god desiring God more than anything else. And in that desire, it helps us walk obediently with him and do the things that God wants us to do. There's an open house in the prayer room following the service this morning, and and I have a shift, and really my shift is about 30 minutes to an hour earlier than what I would like it to be, to be real honest. And sometimes I'm a little bit late, but I get there. And I get there because my primary motivation is I know when I get there I'm going to be in the presence and I'm going to feel that I'm in the presence of someone who loves me deeply and someone that I want to love even more. It becomes a place and a time of rendezvous. And so I'm going to make it. I'm just sick enough and passionate enough that no matter how early or no matter what other things might be going on, I'm going to get there. To choose life is to choose To do what God wants because you passionately love and care about God. Now the good news is our choices are really very few. We can do that or not. And the better news is this. Once we make that choice and that passionate commitment, the other choices that we have to make in life fall into place. Let me say it the way Jesus did. He said on the Sermon on the Mount, Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will get added to you. God knows that you need to eat. God knows that you need to, to have clothes to wear. God knows you need meaningful things to do. And those things follow from a prior passionate commitment to God. One of the ways the rabbis um, have talked about it for centuries is a word picture. It's like jumping in both feet into a river. Or maybe uh, moving, we might say, quickly through an open door. Once you, your feet hit the water... Are once you walk through that door, then things begin to clear up for you that maybe weren't as clear before this. For example, God calls Abraham and says, I want you to get up and go, and I'll tell you when, we, when you get there. And what happens is Abraham goes. He takes the leap. He goes through the door. He starts on the journey. And the other things along the way start to open up for him Till finally he gets in the place on his journey where God wants him to be. If we can make that prior decision to be passionate about God, first and foremost, the other decisions, no matter how significant, tend to roll in our life a little easier. So first we make that commitment, and then we think about school. First we make that commitment, and then we think about uh, life choices for a partner. First we make that commitment, then we think about Uh, vocation, which is actually the word vocation, you know, is from voice, which means I heard somebody calling me heard somebody telling me to do this. And it starts out that passionate commitment. But the other thing I want to say is this. If you make those other choices first, the great thing about making this big choice is that the other choices can be reclaimed. Well, I chose the wrong school. Well, you can still love God, serve other people in the school where you are. I'm living in the wrong neighborhood. You can still bless and love the neighbors that you have, even if it turns out you really didn't want them. I chose the wrong career. There's not a career around where you cannot bless and honor God and touch other people's lives while you do it. other decisions begin to be redeemed. Well, I chose the wrong person. Did you know most of the marriages in the Bible were fixed? They were arranged. People typically in the Bible didn't fall in love and then get married. Most often it went like Isaac and Rebecca. Do you remember the story of Isaac and Rebecca? Abraham and Sarah want a good bride for Isaac. So they sent a servant off to look for a bride and he finds one and he brings her back. And they're already engaged when he brings her back. And this is what the Bible said. It said Isaac married Rebekah and then he loved her. When you make the major decision that you'll do what God wants, that you'll love God most, that you'll live a life to bless others, the other decisions roll out easier, and even the wrong ones or ones we've made that we wish we might have done differently can still be reclaimed and repurposed in significant ways. And then we may even find out that if we make the right major decision about life, the other decisions... Maybe none of them are wrong anyway. Dallas Willard talks about the metaphor of a backyard, which we've all had with children, is you have a backyard and you tell your children to go in the backyard and you've got a swing set in the backyard, you've got uh, a slide, you've got a little tyke's basketball goal, uh, you have a sandbox. And really, as a parent, you don't much care which one of those activities they engage in as long as they're there in the backyard. And when you make the commitment to love God passionately first and you choose life, then God says, well, do this job or that one. Live in this neighborhood or or this other one. Study this. Study that. It'll really be okay either way because you're in my yard. And I've got you. Make the right life decision first. And the others will fall into place. Nicky Gumbel, the founder of the Alpha, course, has a great story about a a very wealthy man who died, Baron Fitzgerald. And when Baron Fitzgerald died, they were going to have a great um, estate auction to give away, I mean, sell all the wonderful stuff he had. So people came from miles around. But they did something strange according to the instructions that Baron uh, Fitzgerald had left uh, for only the auctioneer to know. And so the auctioneer followed those instructions. He got up and said, before we begin this auction, we're going to sell the painting of the baron's one and only son. And unfortunately, the baron's son had predeceased him. We're going to start with that. Well, people who would come from miles around for all the good stuff the baron had, weren't particularly interested in a painting of his dead son, except a servant in the house who had served both the baron and his son and had loved his son very much. He was the only one who bid on the painting. And so the auctioneer awarded the painting to the servant and then said, these are the instructions of the baron. Whoever buys my son gets everything else with him. The auction is now over. You make the right choice. You choose to follow and walk with the Son of God. And everything else falls into place.